I'm Lloyd Freeman, and this is Dimensions of Diversity. If you are volunteering with the DNI committee or certainly heading up a DNI function at any organization, I have no doubt that at some point in time you will be pulled in to opine on or advise on how to manage a crisis. Uh, but there is very much so an art to that. And Dave Poston, the CEO of Poston Communications, is with me today to talk about this topic. Dave, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lloyd. I'm really happy to be here. Yes, uh, and I am so happy that we're giving people some guidance on this because, you know, as you look at any one's job description, you know, I talked about in the intro there, you know, people who head up a DNI function or have decided to volunteer, you know, to do something like this for their organization. Nowhere in there does it say you need to have, you know, some sort of background or skill set in crisis management, but it very much so uh, begins to uh, to not only become a bullet, but a, a major part of the job. But before we get into the substance, let's talk about you and talk about your background specifically as it relates to helping people in the legal industry. So tell us about your background uh, and how you came to, you know, found your own company here, Posting Communications. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for that. And thanks for the chance to be here today. I actually uh, went to law school, uh, went straight through from college to law school. And at that moment, was um, a bit unsure about the overall approach to law. It felt maybe uh, not as helpful as I would want it to be in some circumstances. I was in a civil litigation clinic my third year at Tulane, and I just wondered if there was something I could do with this great education I was getting and maybe uh, look at some other options, career alternatives. And my father was a journalist. I'd grown up with journalists around me my whole life. And we had a really great conversation. And he actually told me about the world of public relations. That was a lot of research and writing, similar concepts, but taking some of those ideas and maybe using them to advance uh, different things um, rather than maybe fight so much sometimes. <laughs> and so he gave me the thought and I found an agency in San Francisco that represented all of the large California firms. My partner and I moved to San Francisco from New Orleans right after graduation. And um, so that's how I found uh, public relations. Um, from there, I worked at three in-house jobs. Um, my uh, uh, 50 attorney IP firm, I worked at King and Spalding to help kick off their public relations program. And then I worked at Dorsey and Whitney. Um, our 20th anniversary as an agency is actually this coming January. In a couple oh, nice. Weeks. Yeah. So um, it's been a great ride and I'm, I'm very fortunate to have found it for sure. So how has your uh, background as an attorney been a benefit to you as you are navigating this space and certainly advising and counseling clients? Well, it's actually, it's a niche that's actually converging, I think, at this exact moment. The mm -hmm. intersection of legal and comms is a really interesting whole other podcast topic, probably. <laughs> but, um, you know, for example, I just um, hung up the phone with a client and we were essentially talking about the comms strategy. But to design the comms strategy, we had to talk about governmental and uh, governmental relations and affairs. We had to talk about um, the public relations component, not only from the internal team, but the external potential external team. We had to, we discussed how at many organizations now, the legal department oversees communications. Um, I shared with them that one company's communications department reviews every single legal filing that goes out from their outside firms now because legal filings are a communications channel and they need to be looked at from that perspective as well as part of risk management. So it's a really interesting time. Mm -hmm. So 
great segue talking about the interesting time. You know, I have not, of course, pulled up your uh, your income statement, but I can imagine that you are busy. And I know that you're busy just because of the time that we're in. I came into my current role uh, at, at Buchanan in 2020. And, you know, this is when a lot of people were getting full-time roles. Uh, there was a surge in full-time roles for people to become, you know, a chief DNI officer, or at least a, a director of diversity uh, for whatever organization, but law firms very much so placed a heavy emphasis on, you know, bringing these uh, leaders to their organizations. And where I know that you have um, been a great help to these individual leaders is that in the law firm space uh, specifically, but again, I'm going to say this is, you know, irrespective of whatever industry, there has been this, you know, um, awakening, if you will, around what is the conscience of the organization? You know, when do we speak up and speak out? In the year 2020, you know, you had the murder of George Floyd, you had the pandemic, there was this entire social justice movement, there was violence against Asian Americans, you know, I mean, there were so many things that were going on. And certainly, if you were not an organization that spoke up and spoke out about some of these issues, global issues, social justice issues, etc., then people then, you know, decided, you know what, if my organization doesn't have a conscience, then I don't really know that I, I can work here. So uh, let me kind of start at the beginning. When you are um, advising a, a client uh, and talking about when to issue a statement, what are the recommendations there? What are the things that you should consider as an organization around when do we issue a statement? Okay, so I actually have, um, you know, of course I can mention crisis planning, right? It's a three-part approach to crisis, prepare, respond, recover. And within that is a whole breakdown. And one of the documents that we created um, in 2022 was to answer this exact question for our clients. And, and uh, you know, of course we are facing um, four sort of approaches to to the to answer your question so one is sort of you know when do we uh need to sort of know who we are and what our opinion is on something that might be say used internally there might be a situation where we would want to um be able to share that information the third might be where we do issue a statement to join a group and then one is where we might actually take the lead you know, where we might be proactive about something. And, you know, th those aren't the exact words we use on this worksheet. We actually um, analyze scenarios. We have a scenario worksheet where clients will basically say, these are all the scenarios we know we're going to face. And of those scenarios, which bucket do they fall into? Mm. So you don't have to, if you've planned, you don't have to feel like you don't know the answer when something actually does happen to you. Because you actually know our organization cares enough about X or Y that we would be proactive. A, a good example of this, to put it to, to good, good use here, is um, back in the day with the last presidential election cycle. So interestingly, this is a pre for the new one coming. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, voting rights sort of evolved in that as sort of the underpinning theory that was really at play. You know what I mean? But mm -hmm. companies had not really coalesce themselves around whether or not voting rights was one of the things, you know, and then how to interpret when voting rights were under threat. So there's a worksheet here where you decide which goes in which bucket. They can certainly be moved by the communications, crisis communications team in the moment, but if you can put it in place, you're ready to start the conversation. And then that comes with a whole list of questions. So how rigid, though, are some of those 
the, those buckets, if you will. So you, you know, you have some of the, these are the things that we care about. You know, these are the mm -hmm. issues that, you know, we mm -hmm. are willing to speak on, um, uh, you know, publicly, yeah. whether it is internal or external, but again, this is crisis, right? So you can't all plan for all, you know, parts of the crisis. So you have no right. idea, you know, when and where something's going to happen. And so here's a, for example, you know, I am a domestic company, domestic law firm. I don't have any operations, you know, um, uh, overseas, but then there is some sort of a, you know, global issue that happens that, you know, the geopolitical issues, you know, that come up, but we say, you know what, we don't have anyone in our workforce who's over in, you know, this this foreign country. Do we still get involved in that? You know, why, What what is, what are the considerations around when you should be involved in something when you know that it doesn't specifically touch your workforce? Yes, and I think you're right. You can't predict everything, but a, a good example of that is, um, I'll just use LGBTQ as an example. And uh -huh. I think women's and actually religion in the workplace is another similar. But the global definition of diversity, if you're, if, if a country puts LGBTQ people to death, well, that's clearly going to conflict with your domestic U.S. policy, right? And so, um, and the same thing would be for different things about women's rights, or like I said, about religion in the workplace, where religion is much more integrated into society and business in a, a lot of other countries in the, in the, across the globe. So there's degrees in terms of how all this has to sort of work together. But you, you, you might even have to take a stance like many law firms had to with countries like Russia, you mm -hmm. know, when they moved out of Russia or they advised clients to do different things. And so I think if you have a basic understanding, number one, that uh, on politics, that you support democracy, and these are really high level examples and, and, yeah. and sort of be hard to get your arms around, but like, um, there's some baseline things, you, you know, that you're going to always support, you know, and it, I think it leads into one of your questions, so I don't want to tip it off, but about the choice about whether profit is the end-all, be-all of our organization or not, right? That's interesting, but let's that, that segue right into that because many people will say that issuing these statements are not necessarily talking about the conscience of the organization. Rather, it is how are we protecting our profits or, or making sure that we issue some sort of a, quote, marketing statement, right, to ensure that our standing in the market isn't interrupted, you know, while this whatever crisis, you know, is playing out. So that gets into whether or not it is performative like is, is this because what why are we doing this and so how do you articulate that without saying you know no this is a real statement and something that we care about or no one's ever going to say oh we're doing this because we care about profits what are the considerations in that regard yeah i mean i think the the, the closest one that's really an, an important to look at is clients need the services of the law firms that they trust to guide them, right? And so if, if a law firm makes a particular, takes a particular stance and it eliminates its ability to assist in bridging two sides. Now, this is a really complex thing, right? Because is it better, this is a political question for all of us, right? Is it better to be in the conversation to help or is it better to pull out of the conversation in some ways in, uh, as defined by some, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think this harkens back to the old adage of, does everybody deserve legal representation? You know what I mean? Does everybody deserve first amendment rights? And so you have to decide as a firm, 
where you feel like you can contribute the best to society in the biggest long-term picture. But if you're going to choose long-term picture on some really tough issues, you've got to communicate that why and how you've got to that decision. Mm -hmm. So I think one of the places where organizations, law firms or otherwise really, really break down is failing to share the conversation and the complexity about the issue, which led them to a decision and then be willing to communicate and later change that decision and communicate about why they changed. L leadership is a conversation that never stops, right? And you can't, you can't um, ever stop talking about why you've made decisions and how you're continuing and continuing to follow up. But then people need to sort of also maybe help build that trust and, and, and explain that they're willing to trust their leaders and their advisors and others as they go through things. That's really convoluted, but. Well, that's okay. I can break it down a little bit because one of those decisions might be the decision to remain silent on an issue. Do you still have to communicate that out to all of your stakeholders that, you know what, we've, <clears throat> we've vetted this, we've looked at it, we're not going to take a position on it, we're not going to speak on it? I mean, I think that if you've communicated that we as an organization have decided our, our what we feel like we can contribute on is one, two, and three, we aren't sure that we can contribute on four and five, and and maybe why. Um, that's okay. But four might be, but you know what? Someone in our organization and in our community is feeling some pain around that issue. And therefore we've put it on our agenda to look at it and revisit that. Mm -hmm. Five, we feel like that is outside of our scope because of X and Y. And, um, but you, like you said, you, Lord, you know, you've got to share that you've done that work. I mean, that's work you've done. That's, that is the good message that you were doing the effort. Uh, well, otherwise you leave it up to, you know, individuals to make some assumptions around, oh, this is, you don't care about, you know, this particular population. You don't care about this particular cause. You know, how can you all be so, you know, tone deaf, you know, to this particular issue? Yeah. And that's not the case. It's that it has been, you know, very much so uh, thoroughly vetted, you know, by all levels of leadership. And we've just decided that this is not one where we're going to actually, you know, make a public statement. Yeah, or that we, or that we, or, or that our statement would be valuable to contribute at this moment. You know, that's a good point too. Yeah, like uh, w not everybody can really have an opinion on everything that's fully informed. You know, I love that you said that because I think that a lot of people uh, jump to make a statement because they simply feel like they have to. But to your point. There's already been enough voices, you know, perhaps, you know, on a particular issue, and we're not an informed enough voice. And so if we're not going to have anything substantive to add to that conversation, why are we adding to it? But, you know, to, you made a point when you were talking about kind of issues one through five, right? And you said four was not really on our radar, but, you know, one of our employees said, this is important to me, or it's important to my identity, and I think that we should weigh in on it. And now the organization has said, you know what, we are. Well, that is a bit more of a reactive response, right? You know, we were not in front of that issue. We, we, we got, you know, word of it through one of our employees or, or any other stakeholders. 
timing of the statement is really, really critical. And I know that, you know, we live in a cancel <laughs> culture now, right? And, you know, if you don't respond within the first 24, 48 hours, you know, you must not care, you know, who wants to work for this particular organization. Talk to me about timing and the considerations around the timing of your statement in the middle of a crisis. That is such a good question. In fact, one of our clients the other day was saying, we're getting a lot of pressure. And Lloyd, we're in a situation where there's a war going on and there's life and death and injury is the number one crisis issue, mm -hmm. right? It's the number one scenario to which we must feel something. Otherwise we aren't human, you know? Yeah. And so they said that we've feeling a lot of pressure and, and, and okay. But what they were able to do is say, we agree, this is so important, but it's so important. We need to be careful and study this for a minute. We, we just don't know what to say quite yet. We are worried, you know, we are concerned, we, we care. Um, but that follow-up commitment is one of the really other great things to learn about comms and crisis comms. You say something now and you say and be willing as a leader to have the courage to say, and I will follow up with you on this. And I will continue to be diligent on this issue. And it's also a case stepping back to say, I'm sorry, I was not aware and I didn't see you, but I see you now. Hmm. Hmm. So you're, you're literally saying, you know, put own it a, but you're saying be even, you know, vulnerable enough that you can, you can apologize for, you know, maybe some of the feelings that individuals, you know, may have experienced due to the timing of, of, you know, everything that has already transpired. Right. Nice. Nice. Talk to me some more about, so that that's the structure of a statement, um, you know, where, um, we're coming out and we're saying, we don't really have all the details yet. You know, we don't necessarily know what our stance is. It's on our radar. We're going to get back to you. So let's say we actually are already informed, you know, do we come from a place of, you know, let me start by setting the stage and reminding you all what, what has happened. Do we talk about, Hey, you know, isn't an employee first, you know, message, we care about you and your well being, And then we get into the issues. How would you structure one of these statements? Or is it all under the category of the lawyerly answer of it depends? Nah. No, I, I'm I'm comfortable, you know, saying structure here. I mean, most most statements, you know, need to be founded in the very short. First of all, you know, you you only need to say a couple things. I think people want to know how you made this decision and why. Sort of like based on our mission, we feel it's important to say X or Y about this issue. We're going to contribute in this way. We're going to continue and follow up. And then we're going to measure ourselves as part of that. I mean, it's it's just a real basic framework, you know. I think I answered the question, but I, I can go further about mission value or, or something else about how you start to get there. No, I want to hear that because I think that a lot of times people are stuck on you know, do I need to, you know, give a lot of the history here? Or, you know, are there certain buzzwords that I have to mention? You know, if I'm going to issue a statement under, you know, the social justice umbrella, there's a, there's a crisis that, you know, we need to respond to. Do I need to talk about tragedies uh, around, you know, the, um, uh, racism in America, you know, over the last 400 years before I get into the substance? Or do I need to go right into what is the current issue today and why it is that we are speaking? Or do we need to educate as well, as I guess is my question, in these statements? Are these to educate people as to how we got here? Or are they only to let people know this is what our stance is? And then you talked about it being very concise. So I don't know whether we have enough room to do that. Or maybe you're uh, advising that it can be done in a sentence or two. 
Yeah, I mean, I think, yeah, the lawyerly answer is it's... it's it depends. <laughs> yeah, but I think some of those things can be like, here's our statement that we think is really important, concise statement to mm -hmm. make sure you, you're, you've heard from us. But oftentimes you can link back to more. So like diversity is an example where you see a lot of, you know, our diversity priorities of the year are one, two, and three. Because of that, we think it's really important to address this topic today. You can read more about our commitment and all of the activities we have to support and try to make an impact here from, you know, kind of back over here. Um, so there's some of that, you know, uh, you know, diversity is one that, you know, you, you're always wanting to reference that this is something that is an ever going conversation. Mm -hmm. Know, um as we all become more aware so when when do we decide whether that statement is internal versus external you know okay. that we ne we now need our clients we need our competitors we need our you know prospective you know um uh, uh candidates to 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 the to the organization to know what our stance is when do we go external with it okay so let me just say one thing about law firms first we were formed to serve clients and we are ethically sworn to serve clients. Mm -hmm. And so we are in a little bit of a tangle from moment one, right? Because um, we're bound by those. At the same time, we are to guide those individuals. And so I think it's very important that your leadership come to some sort of agreement well in advance about its, its own mission and purpose from the sense of, is our law firm's purpose to advance society through the work of our clients or is it to serve our clients needs and honestly either one is fine if it, just make a decision and own that decision yeah you know what i mean don't be lost in the middle be self-aware and, and self-conscious enough to make a decision so that people can understand how they're interacting with you you know, I think deception and confusion is is really problematic in communications and leadership, you know. And so um, once an organization has, has made those decisions, they have so much freedom and power within that, you know. And I think if a law firm has made a decision that profit isn't the only purpose, they would rightfully choose clients who also believe the same. You know, and you had you had delivered some wonderful things about the Gartner survey and how employees really care about mm -hmm. how um, their companies behave and their positions on things. And the same science exists on customers. The Business Roundtable, which is a CEO group, a couple of years ago, there was a great New York Times story about all of these hundreds of CEOs in America got together and said, we have a higher purpose to be meaningful and have impacts on our communities that are positive. When you look at the anti-woke sort of thing uh, that's going on right now, that is diffused definitively with business leadership and courage. Hmm. Because if business leaders are like, you know what? Businesses have a purpose. We live in these communities. We operate in these communities. That's not going to change. And no uh, semantical word game around that is ever going to change our courage as leaders. I think this is great. I'm learning so much. Uh, and from there, sure. you can write crisis statements, right? Perfect. But I, you know, I feel like then we've checked off the the what, we've checked off the the when, we've checked off the why. We got to get to who. So 
yep. who is the voice that is delivering this, i.e., is it the CEO? Is it the, you know, whoever the uh, head of DNI is for the organization? Is it someone, you know, with a regional leadership position because it is more of a regional issue? Mm-hmm. Um, and also, who then is helping that individual to craft this statement? You know, is it someone with a comms background 100%? Is it someone with a DNI background? Is it legal? Is this like a team effort and everyone, you know, there are 15 people crafting these six sentences? The who? You got to give us more info on that. Yeah. Okay. So usually best from the top, highest ranking person. It's got, if it's not coming from the top, I can't believe it, you know? Mm, okay. But at the same time, the top can't speak if they don't have the experience and the feeling, right? They haven't had the feelings. And so if the top has definitively, wisely, humbly uh, given that responsibility to some other wonderful leader in the organization, she might speak, or you know, they might speak. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't need to be the top if it's clear why. Do you mm-hmm. know what I mean? I do. Um, and so, um, I think the second question was about who gets involved in those decisions. Yeah, basically, who's on the crisis team, you know, so yeah. if and when there is a crisis, who are the people who are on the text thread, you know, uh, do, you, it seems like we have to have that CEO, whoever that, you know, that top leader is, mm-hmm. who are the other people, if you were putting together your dream team, if you will, we're responding to a crisis, we, we've got to get something together in the next 24 or 48 hours, yeah. who are those people? Yeah, and absolutely, like based on scenario, you know, if it's a data security thing, we have an IT team in yep. place, right? Yep. Um, and, you know, I do think it has to be a, sm- a smaller group as possible, but as, as far reaching in terms of the, the people it's actually going to touch, right? So, yes, I do think that obviously a diversity leader on all of the things, but in each situation, you might, if they're d- diversity and innovation and, you know, like there's different roles in law firms now that those people definitely want to be there. I mean, those are strategic thinkers, right? That's how they're defined. Their roles are defined. But there's also a place, there's an empty seat or two for people that can help in the moment, right? Like um, the trans employee needs to be there if that's what it's about. Mm -hmm. I mean, um, Mm -hmm. or the international employee needs to join the call because this is an issue in Brazil. You know what I mean? And so, um, okay. But uh, there also could be, like I said earlier in this worksheet, some sort of protocol for decision-making as well. So there could be a questionnaire, for example, that could guide them. Another example of what you're asking about is these newly enhanced and sometimes newly formed client review panels where new clients are now being vetted, right? Rather than immediately being accepted so that conflict check doesn't go on on a Saturday and people are sort of like, wait a minute, we're going to represent this organization. Do you know what I mean? So the client review panel is an example of a maybe sort of sub crisis team, you know, that has been assigned a task to help the core crisis leadership team. This is great. That questionnaire, uh, that's not static, right? I mean, that is something that may be very, very fluid given who the people are in leadership or how the company has expanded our footprint. Am I right on that? Or is that something that is static and it's simply around core values of the organization? Well, I mean, I, again, I think it's a little bit of, um, it can change. Okay. So the decision, do you want me to read you some of the questions? Give me some. Yeah, please. Okay. Okay. The decision tree questions for stand and or speak out on an issue. Uh, Does this situation involve or impact our team, clients, or others we care about? Does it involve or directly in, in, um, in, yeah, okay, so I say client. Is it the right thing to do? 
Does it reflect our brand? Is it part of what makes our different? Are there cultural, ethical, or legal demands or prohibitions surrounding this issue? How does it align or impact the firm's mission and values? Are we, should we be demonstrating leadership on the issue, including if it is an extension of a related issue we're committed to? What would our team expect us of our, in this situation? What would our clients expect of us in this situation? Are we willing to take a stand that would ultimately cause us to lose a client? Wow. Um, if contacted by the media, is this one of the issues which we have agreed in advance to address publicly or not? And even if not contacted by the media, do we want to make a proactive statement internally to our clients or to the media? So like that questionnaire, you can answer in advance on a lot of yeah. issues. Yeah, you can. You can. So now I will tell you that um, when you issue these statements, a lot of times, again, certainly in a post-2020 world, right, we are not looking for an empty statement. We, meaning the stakeholders, the people, right? We're not looking for an empty statement. We're looking for you to take the stance. And it's also what is the action plan behind it? And I understand that you did kind of give, you know, a back door there to say, I wanted to get this out. So you knew that, you know, we were in, 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 in touch with the issue. We'll get back to you when we know some more. But people still want to see an action plan, right? Or at least have you allude to the fact that an action plan cometh. Uh, am I correct on that? Yeah, I think people want action. It's impact, right? That's the measurement. And so so the statement is really, uh, here is our stance, but it is stay tuned for, you know, maybe, and that is also where you delegate, stay tuned for something from our chief DNI officer, you know, stay tuned for something from our chief impact officer, you know, something like that, you know, where that individual can give you some more information around what we are going to do uh, to help individuals who are in need for this particular crisis or, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. And maybe let me step back and say, you know what, there's actually a little bit of a scale there too, Lloyd, maybe you and I might agree on this. Like it's, I see it. I see you. I see the situation. There's I'm not sure what I can do, but we're thinking there's, we've already done this and we're going to beef that up, you know, um, we're going to get a group of us together to do something. I mean, there's a little bit of a, of an in-between. Um, so yeah. That now with those, with those actions though, um, I can imagine that you've probably uh, been met with mixed review when one of those actions is give money, because a lot of times people think that, you know, if we are responding to some sort of a crisis, uh, you know, money helps. And, and then there's this corporate social responsibility piece, you know, of the house that wants to work maybe on that crisis team. And so, yeah. you know, we've got the, the crisis you outlined in, in Brazil uh, and we've pulled in, you know, the local Brazilian uh, employee and we're thinking, all right, you know what, this is a time where we need to give $50,000. And some people though are going to say, well, you're just throwing money at an issue. You're not really helping them to fix the issue. What's your advice uh, for individuals or I should say organizations who are struggling on, do we supplement this statement with some sort of a pledge or monetary, you know, donation or contribution? Yeah. I mean, listen, you know, money's very important, right? You put your money where your mouth is, you know? <laughs> but I also think that, um, you know, uh, even the way you put money down is really important. There's two examples of this. Supplier diversity programs are a long-term commitment to putting your money where your mouth is, right? As are year after year donations. And so which one of those has more impact? Maybe they both have impacts and they're different. You know, I think you've got to look at money like that. You, you also need to look at money in the current situation. Brazil's a great example for like, let's say there was some something going on, but like in the current situation in, in Israel and Gaza, for example, 
giving money to one side or the other feels like a political response to some groups, right? So we've seen some organizations consider but not do that and then end up with a educational uh, programming response, right? So money seems extremely necessary, but also political. So we ended up somewhere else. Okay. Okay. I understand that. Uh, but I, I guess then when you uh, are, please go I ahead. Know what you, I didn't answer your question though, which is like, um, that's not enough. I mean, it's your gut, right? I mean, Lloyd, if it feels like it's not enough to someone in your organization, you need to listen to that feedback mm -hmm. and you need to do something about it. Mm -hmm. Love that. Even if it is, we don't know what that additional piece is now. Uh, but and acknowledging that you hear what they're saying is is it really it just lowers the tension. It lowers the it's not defensive. It's not whatever. And, you know, I think I'm going to just say this in defense of a lot of people who work really hard on these issues as <laughs> leaders, like some people need sometimes a little bit of acknowledgement and a little bit of grace to sort of say, OK, I'm really wound up about this issue for damn good reason. Right. But like, OK, OK, I'm just going to trust you, even though I'm really upset and worried about this, you know, so in fairness to leaders. They need the grace as well. Um, they don't always deserve it, but sometimes they, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, to, to your point, you know, these individuals are are grappling with something that's very, very heavy. Uh, and oftentimes, you know, it's something that, again, it wasn't in the job description. I didn't know I was going to have to respond to, you know, this particular crisis or any kind of crises of this magnitude when I took on the job. Delta Airlines is, the to me, the best example of an organization that has it, it sometimes moved quickly on things and it sometimes mm -hmm. didn't and then got criticism. And then when they did, they admitted it and they moved, you know, and, and did their slowness have, have a negative impact from some people's point of view? Absolutely. You know, but they did get there. Um, and they, and they really have strived as an organization to make caring part of their brand. And I think it's true. I think if you listen to their CEO, he cares about his community, you know, and sometimes he's not going to get it all right, but he's trying really, really hard. And that's probably the most important to understand that the individuals are trying uh, and they're putting forth a, a real effort uh, mm -hmm. to to understand the issues uh, and to give a response that touches the individuals who care about the company, right? Or who are supporting the company. Yeah. Last question, Dave, because I want to make sure that we've given people at least, you know, a starting point. So people go back and they, you know, they reference this particular podcast episode because, you know, new crisis comes up. What's step one? Step one, I am the leader of this organization. You know, crisis is, you know, in, in full swing. Uh, and I, I know who's on my, I know the questionnaire. Uh, I know the people. What's step one? Do we need to get a meeting together as step one that the, you know, the CEO or that individual outlines something, you know, to give to the group? Is step one to go out and speak to, you know, some of the employees and, and take their temperature? You know, do we, do we care about this? Do we not? What's step one? Yeah, well, the first thing I always try to say, especially for folks who aren't sitting in a C chair necessarily, or are, but there's an executive committee they answer to, let's say. Yeah. Um, I think there's a lot of uh, inertia around, I have to get them to agree to do a crisis plan with me. And you don't, you can just sit at your desk and write it, you know, and just own the, the wonderful leadership opportunity that's give, been given to you to go ahead and if I was the, the 
the head of the executive committee of this firm, I would say this, you know, mm-hmm. and on this issue, I would say this, and I would reorganize these issues to be this, this, and this. And when you get that moment when it's the right time to insert that conversation, you can say, you know, this is this is one of the highest points of purpose of my job. And I've started this because I care about this organization so much and I care about you as a leader and I see all these things and I really just want to help. And this is what I started, you know, and then they'll say, well, okay, great. Thank you for this initiative. And like, where does this fit in? Then you can say like, I've got, let's do a team, just a little meeting, you know? Um, But I also would say if, if you sense something, trust your gut, get out of your chair and walk down the hall. Just do it. Just walk down the hall to the person that can help you and then grab that person. And the two of you go to the next office you need to go to. Just go do it. You know, they will thank you for coming to them and raising the issue because they want to they do want to lead well. I love that. Dave, you've given such amazing advice. I appreciate you. I know that so many people will find this uh, extremely helpful. Dave Poston, (laughs) thank you so much for being on the podcast. Boy, thank you for having me. That was helpful. Dimensions of Diversity is brought to you by Buchanan, Ingersoll, and Rooney. Please rate and review our podcast. We would love to hear from you. And don't forget to subscribe to hear all of our new content as we continue to explore ways in which we can all advance diversity and inclusion. I'm your host, Lloyd Freeman, and thank you for listening. Thank you.